I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this is Mobile Arcade Club, a show where we take a look at games from Apple Arcade each episode and talk about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully let you know if it's something you might want to try. On this episode, Chris hits the courts in Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis, and I get an engineering degree in Bridge Constructor Plus. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Mobile Arcade Club. Today we're looking at Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis from Viacom International and Bridge Constructor Plus, that is Bridge Constructor Plus with plus at the end, not uh, plus in addition to another game, just to clarify that, by Clockstone Studio and Head Up. We'll start off with Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis, which is one that I checked out and I'll cut straight to it. Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis didn't really hold my interest for all that long. Now, I'll concede that my interest in checking it out in the first place was sort of multifaceted. The first being, I do like sport, and I do like sport-based video games, so I've played a few in my time. And I heard reasonable things about last year's All-Star Brawl, the Nickelodeon game that came out last year. I heard that, while it wasn't necessarily a Super Smash Bros defeater or killer in in that regards, I heard that it was a perfectly capable brawler and there was some fun to be had. Whereas Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis, I checked this out thinking, well, their their last sort of foray into sort of a sports-adjacent genre was pretty reasonable. Let's, Let's check out what the tennis game's like. I wasn't super impressed so to lay out the concept, as the name suggests, Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis, it's a an arcade tennis sort of game where you play as various Nickelodeon characters, starting off with the likes of SpongeBob SquarePants, the cartoon and subsequent movies of which I love, just putting that out there, and other characters including Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hey Arnold, there's some Rugrats representation. I think there's Garfield as well because, I mean, who... Who, who wouldn't want to play a tennis game, you know, who wouldn't want to play a game playing as Garfield? I don't He's, know. you know, a well-known athlete, that Garfield. Yeah, the carbs from the lasagna have got to go somewhere, so I can sort of see the see some correlation there. So you're telling me he's been carb-loading every Monday. I see. Indeed, indeed. He's uh, is a highly tuned athlete. Oh, God. <laughs> Getting back on track. The uh, Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis. So with, with the Nickelodeon characters, so you can play various exhibition games against these characters or you can play in a story mode. And I say story in the, the very lightest sense of the word because it is a pretty bare-bones mode where you just play a sequence of short tennis matches against various characters and in between there's static dialogue boxes indicating some form of beef between the characters which you know real real thin veneer of causality sort of stuff so yeah yeah it's it's all tenuous stuff but it's it's harmless enough and i i can sort of get that it's aimed at younger players and, and that sort of thing but you know, pretty pretty bare bones, but it, it mainly serves as a vehicle for playing as the different characters who sort of have their different specialties, have their different power-ups and that sort of thing, and as a way of playing through these characters, unlocking 
their sort of new new equipment and also upgrading their attributes to sort of you know get get a bit better or you know different rackets which can actually add or detract to various attributes and statistics as well whether it be like power or control or you know those those sort of things uh, that you're, you're looking at with arcade tennis games and I, I can't help but make comparisons to the most recent Mario Tennis game, uh, Mario Tennis Power Aces, I think it was, or oh, I, I can't remember. It might exactly. just be Aces from memory. You, you might be right there. So that one came out on Switch a couple of years back. And one thing I really liked about that game was it was more than just an arcade tennis game. There were people sort of more versed than I in some of the various subgenres and, and that of gaming who actually likened that Mario Tennis Aces game to that of sort of the, they use the language very similarly to that of fighting games, like your Street Fighters, Tekkens and that sort of stuff, because it was so tightly designed and developed that no matter who you played as, no matter what sort of setup you went for, it felt like there was a reasonable counter for everything as long as you sort of, you know, reached a decent enough skill ceiling to be able to to combo and and match up against the different characters and strategies. Whereas something like Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis is a lot more basic than that. Right. It's yeah. So yeah, sure you've got different characters, you've got different equipment, you've got different attributes, that sort of thing. But I think a lot of it comes down to the the controls where I played using the, the touch controls on an iPhone, which you is, is how most people would be playing this game. If you're going to be playing this game on Apple Arcade, you're more than likely going to be playing this on a phone or a tablet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't imagine too many people would be going out of their way to play this on a an M1 MacBook or something <laughs> like that. So Wow, you're calling uh, me out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the touch controls did feel reasonably responsive but they did feel a bit awkward and not an ideal way of playing the game so you can touch and drag across the screen to move your player across the court but where i found this sort of fell apart a little bit was that hitting the the ball and swinging your racket was also controlled by sort of a touch and hold and release gesture as well so you would be shown sort of the trajectory, sort of a landing zone where the opponent's hits or returns would sort of be landing. So you could get to position, but then to hit, you'd have to touch, hold, and then release at a, at a particular moment to to do, do the hit. And if you left it too long, it would sort of automatically do the hit for you just on sort of like a... A lesser quality hit, so right. you know the, the timing was not as ideal. So it would be returned with as much force or as much trickery or whatever. But it, it just it felt a little bit awkward because I'd be touching and dragging, trying to move a character to one area of the court, but then it would then already go into my sort of swing animation for the for the return of trying to. You know, hit the ball back and try and you know serve up a winner or whatever. But mm. it it just felt a little bit awkward. And another thing that compounded this awkwardness was 
the game in its sort of early tutorialization sections, it did sort of suggest that the ideal timing for serving, for returning, for any sort of shot was to release at the last possible moment or, or mm-hmm. sort of at a, at a late window of the ball being returned to you. And it was even through a little bit of trial and error, I really struggled to identify what this late ideal window for hitting my shots actually was, which was was frustrating because it sort of felt like, oh, okay, I can't figure this out. So what's what's mm. the point of me trying to get the timing right if it if it controls in a fiddly manner, if it doesn't feel that great to try and identify the ideal window? It just feel, feels bad, man. So yeah, it, it sounds like. Everything about a lot of these Nickelodeon games, it often has parallels in the Nintendo world where, yeah. you know, you've got your Smash Bros to the All-Star Brawl, you've got your Mario Tennis to your Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis. And I think what Nintendo do particularly well is make a game approachable for, you know, a family-style game where you know people of all ages and sort of game-specific skill levels can get into it and reasonably understand what they're doing. Yeah. But also it has that depth there where you can have that level of almost fighting game-like strategy, mind games. What are they going to do? Do I have to get myself in position to to counteract what they're about to do or you know, leave myself open just in case they do something different? You've got so many things going on. And it sounds like this doesn't quite meet that criteria. It sounds a little bit more sloppy. Even what I was thinking where, where you're talking about struggling to get the timing of the shots reminds me of a lot of other less serious sports games or even serious ones, they'll have some sort of bar or a shrinking circle or some kind of indicator to go, here is, you know, something that indicates how close you are to the perfect shot so you know what that is. And without that, if you're just kind of doing it based on feeling, which is through a touchscreen quite difficult to convey or to, to understand, I can see how this is becoming a little bit of a mess. It sounds like they're trying to jam too much into a fairly simple control method without giving you the external indicators of how you're doing or you know just telling you if you're doing it the right way or not by the sounds of things. You've you've hit upon a really good point there, Stephen, with the best sport games. Like you think of some of the more hardcore sporting experiences available, whether they be classic EA sports or 2K sports games. I'm thinking one that immediately comes to mind is the NBA 2K series where you get instantaneous feedback on any shot that you take and it'll it'll tell you, oh, too early, too late, or this is the percentage of how close it was to being an ideal free throw mm-hmm. or, you know, how the, the quality, the level of quality of the shot that you've taken so that you can actually take that feedback and think, oh, okay, I've just got to release it a little bit earlier or a little bit later next time so you can mm. actually work upon that and improve and actually identify here's the sweet spot timing, which is uh, something that is sorely lacking here. <laughs> so it's 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 a little bit annoying in that regards. And I realise this this absolutely is an arcade sports game. It's not meant to compete with the the hardcore simulation experiences that are out there, but there are still plenty of sports games out there that aren't geared towards the hardcore simulation that still do a better job of providing feedback on your inputs to then improve next time and be able to, you know, 
play better and yeah. you know, achieve that sense of mastery and satisfaction over, over what you're doing. And so that there is, as I mentioned, there's attributes and statistics involved as well. There's a similar a similar sort of levelling system to Disney Ballet Mania, which we uh, checked out a little while ago and, and quite enjoyed, where it's it's a bit synonymous with, with mobile gaming where you can play as a character, level them up and gain some attributes or gain some new equipment to focus on different play styles and, and that sort of stuff. So there's an element of progression and leveling up and something to try and keep you coming back. But because of how Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis makes me feel through its gameplay and it's sort of less than tight controls, it does make me feel a bit cynical towards the progression and not to mention the bare bones story mode as well Mm. in that it makes me feel cynical in terms of, well, if I were to play this game, it would just be for the sake of trying to unlock more things, but I'm not actually inherently enjoying the core experience. So what is the point of me trying to level up and gain new stats or new equipment with all these various bits and pieces when, yeah, what's what's the point? Uh, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not something I'm enjoying at a base level. If you're having sort of a miserable time and you might think that levelling up stats might make you have a less miserable time, but you don't really know that until you do it. And if you have to force yourself through something that you're really not enjoying because it just doesn't feel good, it's not telling you, not giving you that feedback that you need to work out whether you're playing the game right in massive inverted uh, quotes there it just doesn't yeah it needs to have that good game feel to make the the level up seem worth it it shouldn't be something that's necessary to to be able to be any good at the game i guess i i don't imagine that that's what this is like i don't think it's you have to grind for 10 hours before you're allowed to get good timing it's just more a an interface sort of problem the interface isn't as juicy as it could be (laughs) Yes, yes, I, I I agree. It's the sort of thing where it it's not it's not a grind to win sort of game, and you know, a fair chunk of that is alleviated with a bunch of games by virtue of being on Apple Arcade. In that you can't pay for more loot boxes or you can't pay for various upgrades to fast track you know fast track a more powerful build, mm. but. Yeah, it's it's just one that I I don't think it's it's a bad game per se, but as someone who's played a lot of sports games, arcade and hardcore simulation alike, it's not one that I can recommend above some of those other sports games experiences. And I, I recognised early on that I, I wasn't really enjoying it. So between a combination of me having plenty of other games on the go and playing them as well, plus a busy time with work and that sort of thing, I I jumped off the Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis bandwagon pretty early in, in my time. So that's that's pretty well it. That's pretty well where I'm at with that. So moving on to Bridge Constructor Plus... What was your experience? Well, I had a, a little bit of a better time with this than it sounds like you did with Nickelodeon Extreme Tennis, so thank goodness for that. Um, I'm so yeah, glad. You, you mentioned at the very uh, top of the show, it's by developed by Clockstone Studio and published by Head Up Games. 
Uh, it I mentioned on last episode that the reason this stood out to me is it looked very similar to a game that I remember playing on the school computers back when I was in high school. I did some research and found out that game was called Pontifex, and it turns out it is actually the same developer who went on to to make the whole Bridge Constructor series. So turns out I had more than a vibe. It was just straight up, you know, close enough to the same game. Um this originally came out, as far as I could tell, on the App Store in 2013. It was originally on PC in 2011 and then basically to any device that can play games from that point forward. Um, you get a bunch of materials. You have a piece of land on the left of your screen, a piece of land on the right of your screen, and you need to use your materials to build a bridge that will hold a series of progressively heavier vehicles as they drive across to get to the other side. And that's really sort of all there is to the the objectives of this game, but it gets quite complex. It's a fairly, I don't know if realistic is accurate because I'm not a, a bridge construction physics expert, but a it, it seems to my untrained eye like a, a realistic or at least a very complex uh, simulation of the physics of building bridges, building supports, holding it up in particular ways, and then applying weight as it moves across to to see whether certain things will hold under pressure or not. Um, and yeah, it's you essentially, you start off with wood in most of these things, but gradually get through ag to get sort of, you can build with uh, steel, which is heavier, more expensive, but likely to hold up better. Uh, you can get vertical beams from which you can anchor big wires or have you know, other sort of wooden support structures to give it a little bit more uh, strength on the top. Uh, you can get uh, beams that come up from underneath on certain maps. So you know, if the bridge is so long, it's there's just no way it's going to be able to hold the distance. You can have these things underneath that will give it more of a from underneath support structure. And yeah, gradually you just go through build these things try usually try driving cars over at first because that's the sort of the easy easy mode finisher uh, and if they get across about oh maybe i'll try some some small trucks on it then the bridge utterly collapses and you go back to the drawing board a little bit um but yeah i think the the way the physics work uh the most fun part of this game i think you can never really know exactly how it's going to work it's no two tries are exactly the same. I've had some times where I've had cars or trucks not get across the first time, but then in the exact same situation, it does get across the next time. Just, I don't know why, just down to the whims of the simulation, I guess. Um, I had a particularly fun one where I was getting some trucks over. The second truck had just got its front wheels onto the right side of the like the solid land part of the screen, and then the rest of the bridge just completely collapsed underneath it. But because it had passed the finish line, so to say, it meant, cool, you get full five stars for this level. And I found that particularly entertaining. <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the real world sort of implications of that in terms of you're, you're an architect or you're some sort of... Uh, engineer constructing this bridge and you've you've built the bridge this truck goes all the way past and its nose goes just goes past the the end of the other part of the bridge and the whole thing collapses all the containers on the back of the truck fall down and explode or whatever and you know millions of dollars worth of cargo has been lost but you still get the tick of approval because nut nah, front end 
front end of the ca- of the cabin just made it past the the end of the bridge. Yeah, look, the test criteria said, does the truck make it past the finish line? It passed that test with flying colours, so I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> but yes, it, it's very fun just in the way that it's it's a little bit unpredictable, but not to the point where it's like, you know, you have no idea what's going on. It's, you can always tell it, as things are going across, you can see the stresses build up in that the the pieces of the bridge will turn different colours as they get more highly stressed, like going from green, yellow, red, that kind of traffic light system. And, you know, if it gets beyond red, it usually starts collapsing. Um, but, yeah, it, it gets gradually more difficult. It's got sort of a, uh, like a world map style sort of thing where you have a standard, or not quite linear, but a fairly linear progression of levels with some that you can optionally skip if you want to. Um and yeah, just gradually getting through, getting more difficult. And it has it has an interesting hint system that was useful, but I didn't love. So what it does is it has a box up in the top left-hand corner. Click here if you're not sure what to do. And it will sort of show you in dotted lines, you should put this here, put this here, and just have... Usually it begins with sort of a third of the bridge or the first sort of uh, construction on which to build from, I guess. So you can usually get an idea of, okay, that's the shape that it probably encourages for this to be a structurally sound bridge. And you can sometimes extrapolate from there and work it out. If you can't, there's usually another two hints after that, sometimes another three that if it gets particularly complex and you still need it, it will just gradually un- unveil more of its intended design so you can basically it shows you how to do the entire bridge if you need it to, which I found... It was a way to get to the end of each level, but I never really found myself learning how to do it without the hints. I I got the general hint, the general gist of things of, you know, connecting, connecting to a solid piece of the scenery is, you know, good uh, mounting point. And then having ropes coming from a solid support can hold things up and stuff like that. But I sometimes found that I was just, utterly lost for how to progress without going through those hints. So I think I would have much preferred if it had some sort of like a, a way of teaching me rather than showing me how it was done. I guess I, I relied on the hints a lot and that's why I eventually kind of fell off the game a little bit. I, I was having fun to begin with, but when I didn't find myself getting any better at it, I kind of didn't see the 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 appeal stopped being there the it's got that initial appeal of oh i can get cars across the bridge oh it breaks that's quite funny um but that only lasts so long and if i'm not feeling like i'm making any personal progress in understanding how this system works it kind of didn't work for me in that way so i think i i did genuinely quite enjoy this game but more as a i guess a physics toy than as a game because the gradual increase of difficulty is good if you understand what you're doing, but if you don't, then it's just kind of I hit a brick wall and just had to keep hitting the hint system until I got the right thing, which isn't all that much fun. So what I'm hearing is that you're not about to change your day job from software engineering, that sort of stuff, to bridge construction. Oh, Lord, I should not build anything that people have to physically rely on holding together. <laughs> my <laughs> my code can fall apart and nobody will die. It's fine. <laughs> but... Fair Please enough. never drive over my bridge in a car. <laughs> so in terms of, as you say, you'd encountered the earliest form of this game with, with Pontifax and there's been 
various iterations and spin-offs and also imitators as well in sort mm. of the bridge construction genre has have you noticed much progression in terms of like the early Pontifax to to now in terms of how how the game plays or has it, has a phys- physics developed in any tangible way since or is is there what, what's what's sort of the the main reason for people to to dive in into this one after you know having played the the earlier version? Um, honestly, I it's hard to tell if the if the physics has changed very much. It seems very similar, but at the same time, it was probably a good fifteen years ago that I was playing Pontifex, so my memory might be a little bit fuzzy. I think. This one would be a good one to jump into if you haven't tried any of them because it is sort of the base bridge constructor experience. And from what I understand from there, a lot of the newer ones are more themed, like there was a Walking Dead bridge constructor, a Portal bridge constructor. So I guess mm. each of those themes would add their own unique spin on it. I I haven't played the Walking Dead one, but I imagine you have to build a bridge for zombies to get over and maybe they have unpredictable movement patterns or something like that. And Gosh, I can't even imagine what a portal bridge constructor would be like. That's breaking my mind to think about. But I think this one would be good to get into, you know, especially given that it's on arcade. It will cost you nothing if you're already subscribed. But it, it's a good fun toy to play with to to try and see if you understand or if you can get across and maybe learn a little bit better than I did about how to actually get these bridges working. Because yeah. when, when it does work, it is fun to see those things, you know, whichever vehicle get across safely. And, you know, sometimes you get those fun moments where they quote unquote get across safely, but the bridge is in utter a state of destruction afterwards. I think, yeah, it, it's worth giving a try because it's the kind of toy that if you really get into it might just hit that particular spot of your brain that just makes you want to keep playing with it. Almost, almost like a fidget toy to the kind of, it's just a fun toy to play with. Um, Yeah. But as I said, for me, just didn't quite hit that spot for understanding why I was stuffing up or why it wasn't working in my particular case. And yeah, without that, it was a struggle to, to continue with it for me personally. Describing Bridge Constructor Plus as a toy slash a fun thing to play with, like a fidget spinner or whatever, it really takes me back to the halcyon days of the iPod Touch, uh, those early iPod Touches where you download all sorts of funny little apps, like ones where you could make it rain with a, a wad of cash or <laughs> uh, like you know, play with little lava lamp apps and that sort of stuff that you'd drink a you know, beer. Play. Yeah, which you'd get uh, a whole of one minute of use of before discarding it but there there were a lot of games during that era which did rely on physics and that sort of stuff i'm even thinking back to like the original angry birds before they went down you know the microtransaction riddle route and Mm -hmm. and whatnot but yeah it it does remind me that sort of a lot of a lot of these sort of games have had such a rich history in the sort of Apple ecosystem. And although Pontifax sort of is a bit further back than that, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting seeing some of these games come back into vogue or seeing them make a bit of a, uh, a renaissance of sorts on Apple Arcade. That's a really good point. I think back to sort of the early iPod Touch games that I played, a lot of them were that sort of physics toy, but with a, 
an objective in mind. So you've mm. got like your, your happy wheels and some, there were some other ones where you could sort of draw a track and your bike would ride on it. I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, that, that was definitely a theme. It was a very experimental time, both in we can put this game on a store and have potentially millions of people playing it because they all have mm. iPods now. And, you know, these things are phenomenally powerful for, for the time and how small they were was it was definitely a different time and it was it was very nice to go back to that kind of uh, game on a phone even if this one didn't hold my attention as much as i hoped it would it's still it's nice to know that this kind of experience is still there of course yeah so a couple of games for the both of us that didn't quite hit the mark uh, some had a little bit more mileage than others but what are we what are we playing next week, Stephen? Well, for me, I I can't remember who it was, but somebody on my Twitter feed said that Nuts, a surveillance mystery, is fantastic. Then I realized I'll remember that that's one that's on Apple Arcade. So I'm playing Nuts, a surveillance mystery, described on the App Store as spy on squirrels in the forest. So I'll find out what that means over the next week or so. It's got a very striking art direction as well, doesn't it? With yes. the, its use of color in particular. Yeah, it looks very sort of stark. Uh, I don't quite know how to describe it. Hopefully I'll find the words by next next episode, but you're totally right. It's a very, very interesting art style. Something that doesn't quite come across in an audio format, I realise, but uh, we, we, we try anyway. Keep an uh, eye on in, the cover art next episode. <laughs> yes. In the meantime, I will be playing, or to be perfectly honest with you listeners, I have already been playing quite a lot of this and I'm very excited to talk about it. I've been playing a game called Wild Flowers by Studio Dry Dock in Melbourne. Well, they're based in Melbourne, but they're a bit of a distributed studio with people working from across the globe, with some people in Melbourne, some people in the US, and various people in between as well. And it is a cosy life and farming sim with a witchy twist. And boy, I can't wait to talk about it next episode. It's had a lot of good buzz around this one, so I'm curious to find out how you find it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much to everyone for joining us on this episode of the Mobile Arcade Club, and we look forward to having your listenership on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you had fun and maybe found something useful. If you did enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a mobile game-loving friend about it or gave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It all helps more people find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at MArcadeClub, where we'll talk about games from upcoming episodes, and each of us hosts are happy to chat gaming too. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll chat again next time 